From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Ho, ho, hello, and welcome to episode 128 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, that jolly old elf, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. So uh, this is, if folks couldn't tell, we're of course doing our Easter show. Yes, no. yeah, the, <laughs> the, the the most important holiday in December. That's right. If you like Devil Day, um, yeah, we this of course is our holiday show, and so you know Craig and I have our eggnogs and fireball or whatever else is we like to enjoy during the holiday season as we sort of sit back and and get into this into the season here so well well craig i was sort of out in your neck of the woods at least sort of where you grew up i this past week i was i was out uh, for my son's graduation he is a proud graduate from wright state university and but i spent time in pennsylvania as well yeah and it snowed on the last day there i was oh your first snowfall of the year yeah (laughs) probably my last too and um, yeah (laughs) but at at the uh, at the at the commencement the student body president gave a speech and and the theme was like the carousel of progress and i think my son must have thought i paid this kid <laughs> and um he it was all about uh about um walt looking forward and 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 how and change and and you know great big beautiful tomorrow kind of thing i mean it was great that's hilarious <laughs> I thought it was terrific. I wanted to meet this young man afterwards. So I wonder if he was a listener to the show. But anyway, That's it was a very, funny. very good uh, it was a very good speech. So if he or his family are listening, I want to commend him for that. And then and then of course now my son is going to move on to his teaching career. So very exciting. Excited about that. Yes. It's so. really awesome. Yeah. Uh, one of the fun things, though, that my son and his wife took me and my daughter to, because we were out there, and um, my my um, daughter-in-law's mother, we went to a Christmas story house and museum in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, have you so ever cool. been there? I have not. It's uh, It's on my bucket list of things to do uh, one day. It is so much fun. Well, first of all, getting there and finding a place to park during the holiday season is every bit of a hassle you would think it is so <laughs> these are narrow little streets in an old part of of town and you know when 
when cars weren't big and wide. But the house is delightful. How they found this house, I I can't even imagine. It's so buried in the in this you know blue collar area of Cleveland, and and the funny thing is. They they filmed the exteriors there. They were inspired by the interior okay. because you could see how they. Um, it's very close inside, but they uh, built sets and all that. But the, a lot of the exteriors, the neighborhood, and all that were filmed in Toronto. And, oh, um, I've never knew so, that. Yeah, like that's the school is in Toronto and and all that. But anyway, but they still did a great job there. But they were still really faithful to the house. Anyway, oh, it was just so much fun. And then they have a whole museum about the, how they made it and the people, and they have artifacts from it. They, they have, they have uh, framed uh, newspaper clippings, reviews of the film. They were all bad. Apparently, yeah. Very few critics liked the film. No, it was uh, it was uh, from what I know, it was kind of a flop and not really taken well. But then, because of uh, because of TV rebroadcasts and VHS, it just kind of blew up. Oh, and I thought it. I loved it from, but I like Gene Shepard. I'd seen his specials. I'd watched his specials on American Playhouse back in the 70s, I think. And so I already was familiar with him and his work and all that. So um, anyway, so I like – so I highly recommend this place. The museum is a lot of fun. I bought a book, a little book on how to how the making of the film. It's a nice little tabletop book. And I bought um, a video, a DVD on – the making of the film and, and it has interviews with folks and all that kind of stuff that were involved. And then they made, I think Showtime made a sequel to it that I think the only one from the original film was the school teacher. I think Kieran Culkin played Ralphie. And anyway, yeah. And so I only saw bits and pieces of it. So it takes place not in winter. So I, I had to buy it just so that my set is complete. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, I saw a couple of things on Disney plus lately that I really enjoyed. Have you seen a new Pixar short spark short wind? I have seen it. I haven't watched it though. So I've, I've been falling behind on Disney plus. I need to, oh, well, to I know you've up. been busy. There's, there's been a lot of stuff going on yeah, in the yeah. Disney world back there. And it's, I think you'll like it. It's very charming. And the backstory of it is, is, it's very interesting, very nice hmm. story. Yeah, and, and to watch it. You need to sort of understand. Yeah, it, it's very helpful then after you watch it to watch the backstory of why it was created, okay. and um, and and you know what I've enjoyed. I've only watched though the shorts for it is the one day at Disney, and these are very short. They're only a few minutes long, but really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, the shorts are a lot better done than the documentary. The documentary, it only included like six or seven different people including bob Iger, graciously mm-hmm. and so i i'm enjoying the uh, the shorts better than than the actual documentary itself and uh but i i took a look at the coffee table book on it to see what what to expect coming up and uh i'm glad that they could be uh they could be generous enough to 
include such uh, important people in Disney uh, culture, such as like Brie Larson and, uh, you know, other people who have been doing stuff with Disney for so long. Is that in the coffee table book or is that in the series? It's in the coffee table book, so it'll probably be in the series eventually. You know, when I was with Tom Bell at Disneyland, I was there with my granddaughter. We looked through that book and, uh, you know, I just wasn't inspired to purchase it. So no, not um, even I don't know. It did. It didn't intrigue me. I, I don't know why. And I apologize to anybody who's in it, but um, and to their families. But I don't know why. It just didn't capture my interest. Now maybe after the the I this this documentary series is done, it might. I don't know. So um, yeah. we'll see. But uh, did you have do you have your Star Wars Rise of Skywalker tickets? Yet? I do. Yes. So very much looking forward to it. I'll be seeing that. Uh, I'll already have saw it when this is released. So. OK, I I will not have I got my tickets for Sunday. So um, anyway, so I'm seeing it. Yeah, I'm Man. leaving. I'm leaving for uh, for Pennsylvania on on Saturday. So I had to see it. I had to see it before I left. So, oh, okay. Are you going like opening night? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that should be fun. That's I'm keeping my fingers crossed that they bring a proper close to the end of this saga. So I'm hoping they will. So I'm still feeling yeah. confident, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. And I I've been doing my vacation planning for 2020. And I, I've already booked my DVC villas for Destination D. Excellent. And and I'm going with friends to Alani, I decided. So oh, it, very cool. in, in the springtime. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. So luckily I I found a window of seven days in in the um, – my friends are going much longer because they're coming from a greater distance. And so um, within that – within their – calendar i found seven days of an ocean view studio that um that's gonna be lovely so yeah so i'm looking forward to that so and i want to thank you know the the person who bought me at the at the um the the dreams unlimited you know 20th anniversary auction for give kids the world you know the a, a tour of the walt disney family museum that we did a while back um the, sally and gordon they went to Alani recently, and they they brought me back Olu, Duffy's friend, um, and, and gave it to me as a gift. His, oh, he's yeah, a ukulele, yeah, ukulele playing turtle who enjoys singing songs of love. So I think my Duffy set is complete now, except I still need the little seagull that they never made a plush of, and but I think they made like a key key fob or something so i have to get him but otherwise but so many thanks to sally and gordon for their very sweet gift of him so well that's it so i i think uh, i think that's it for our little announcements and catching up and all that 
Since the start of Connecting with Walt, we've celebrated the holiday season and ended our year with a holiday episode. And this year, we have a very special friend of Connecting with Walt back to celebrate the holidays with us. So Disney historian and author Dave Bossert. So Dave, welcome back to Connecting with Walt. Hi, Michael. Hi, Craig. It's so great to be back with you guys and your audience. I always enjoy chatting with you guys because I I always learn something. Oh, <laughs> well, so do we. Believe me. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's wonderful to have you back, especially this time of year. Yeah, so. yeah. It's uh, it's hard to believe the year is pretty much over. I know. Like Christmas and Hanukkah are next week, and uh, on to New Year's. Yeah. Boom. We start yeah. 2020. Yeah, starting a new decade. decade. Yeah, hard to believe. <laughs> well, for folks who've been listening to us for a while, you know that Dave is the author of several of our very favorite books, including Ken Weber, Ken Weber, uh, Mid-Century Furniture Designs for the Disney Studios, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, The Search for the Lost Disney Cartoons, The Art of Tennessee Loveless, the Mickey Mouse 10 by 10 by 10 contemporary pop art series, Disney and or Dolly and Disney Destino, Remembering Roy E. Disney, and Animators Gallery, Eric Goldberg Draws the Disney Characters, and an upcoming book about Disney artist, Imagineer, and legend, Claude Coates. And Dave, what's the latest on the Claude Coates book? Well, you know, it's funny you should bring that up. I actually was, uh, I spent part of the afternoon with Alan Coates uh, today out in uh, Ventura, California. And, uh, you know, we're, we're moving along. I actually, you know, I, I, Michael and Craig, I have a writing schedule. And so I'm actually starting on, you know, I'm starting to write that book in January, the first week of January. Mm -hmm. So we plan on going to the printer by the end of the year. Excellent. Great. Well, that'll be a great Christmas gift or a New Year's gift <laughs> that, that goes to the printer. So, it and will. I like, and I like my cards, by the way. Oh, I'm glad you got them. Fantastic. Uh, you know, and and just to to uh, just bring up uh, yesterday, Monday, December sixteenth was the tenth anniversary of the passing of Roy E. Disney, mm -hmm. our friend, and the the really the first book I ever did was about him, which which I I wrote about a year, two years after he had passed away. And um, so that was, you know, it, it was nice to remember him and think about him yesterday. Um, so I wanted to mention that. Oh, and on the Kem Weber book, uh, just within the last couple of weeks, uh, we were notified that the Kem Weber book received honorable mention in the Writer's Digest uh, Book Awards. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, and that's yeah. actually the seventh award that that book has won, which is wow. just phenomenal. That yeah. is, and, yeah. and just look, all those people that said, there's no audience out there for this book. Uh, you, know? <laughs> I, I, you know something, though? I have to tell you guys, I literally don't listen to those kinds of comments because when I decided to do the Cam Weber book, I my agent even said it's too niche of a topic, he said to me. I go, well Richard, I'm gonna do it anyway. And I went and did it and it's it, it has been selling beyond my wildest wildest expectations. Well I'm delighted to hear that. That is great. And it's a fantastic book. Thank you. So, I appreciate thank that. Thank you. 
Well, we invited Dave to share some holiday stories about Walt Disney and to tell us about his latest book. Uh, he's like Charles Dickens. He's come out with a Christmas book. Um, but this is a treasury of Christmas stories. And it even has a spirited connection to Walt Disney. So, Dave, can you can you tell our listeners about that book? Yeah. So I put together uh, this book. This th- Again, this is one of those passion projects. And, you know, I, I wanted to do this uh, for a couple of years. And I, I just decided to sit down and do it uh, to really the end of last year. So it would come out uh, this year. It's a treasury of Christmas poems. And it's really a collection of uh, poems that, you know, really have some meaning to me that I've enjoyed. And, you know, growing up, Michael and Craig, I uh, every Christmas Eve, my father would gather my brother and my two sisters and I uh, into the living room and he would read from a tattered copy of uh, Clement Clark Moore's uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Uh, And I, you know, I have just such fond memories of that, uh, that I wanted to put this collection of poems together that represents Christmas and the holidays and I wrote a foreword to it uh, that talks a little bit about my childhood and my father reading that book. And um, and then I talk a little bit about poetry. And, and as you guys always know, there's always going to be some kind of Disney connection. And, you know, there's certainly the Disney connection of Twas the Night Before Christmas, uh, which uh, Walt actually uh, created a silly symphony of um, in uh, – Gosh, uh, 19, uh, 1933. Um, and, uh, you know, and then again, you know, Tim Burton went and put his own stamp on that with uh, um, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And uh, and so, you know, I, I, I wanted to write a little bit about that. And, um, and I put this book together and I'm very proud of it. Um, you have a copy of it, Craig. You have a copy of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you guys think of it? It that that was the first. I always read Christmas books during this season. That was the first book I read this year, and I loved it. I thought it was just a charming, sweet book of you know, poems and stories. And I also appreciate how you have a little sort of you give a, a few sentences background. You know about the either the author of the poem or the poem itself, and I enjoyed that. I appreciated that. I also gave a, uh, a copy to my granddaughter for Christmas. Oh, so lovely! She's she's ten. In fact, you autographed it um, oh, for yes. me for her. Yes, I did. Yeah, and when you were up in Sacramento, so I uh, so um, yeah, I showed it to my son and his wife before. You know, I put it in the, you know, wrapped it up and all that mm-hmm. for her. And so, um, yeah, she might not totally appreciate it when she's 10, but I think it's a book that she will grow up with. You know, and and I, and I, at the end of the book, I, I, I'll tell everybody this. I did put a little thing about Walt Disney in there because, you know, his favorite drink was the Scotch Mist. And, you know, the first time I ever heard about that many, many moons ago, 
it always struck me as being like a holiday drink. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not a big drinker, but it just felt like, you know, the scotch mist seemed like something you'd have around a crackling fire uh, during the holidays, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's how I feel about drinks like old fashions and stuff. Because yeah. those are the drinks my father would serve when when we had people over for Christmas. So, but this yeah. was the, this was like I said, it was a passion project, and I you know I put it out there, and and there's some lovely illustrations that were done by Thomas Nast, the cartoonist from uh, New York back in in the uh, latter part of the 1800s. And and he, you know, I used the the uh, Santa uh, illustration he did uh, for the uh, for a visit from Saint Nicholas, which is was the night before Christmas by Clement Clark Moore, and and that really was the the first time uh, somebody had visualized what Santa Claus would look like. Uh, and, and I just thought, you know, it's it's such a wonderful illustration. I just wanted to put it in there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, again, there there's some familiar poems and there's some not so familiar poems. I think one of the most poignant ones to me was, uh, and I don't know how you guys felt about it, uh, but it was uh, Wartime Christmas uh, by Joyce Kilmer. Mm-hmm. And he he was uh, he was from New Jersey, and uh, he was killed while fighting in uh, World War One, which was, which was kind of you know very sad to me you know, but I I I liked his poem and I wanted to put it in there, you know. And there there's some some other ones like you know the Robert Frost the road not uh, not taken, and nativity and. You know, there's another lesser-known Clement Clark Moore uh, poem, uh, "Old Santa Claus," uh, that's in there as well. So, you know, it was uh, it was fun putting it together. Yeah, and that's definitely going to be a book I read every year oh, as getting ready for Christmas. So, hopefully, you know, folks will get that, and it'll become part of their family tradition. Yes, and, I'll, I, I will put a shameless plug out there uh-huh. and tell everybody that it is available on all your favorite online booksellers. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, you can get it there. Uh, just type in A Treasury of Christmas Poems and put my name, David Bossard, in with it, and mm-hmm. it should come up for you. Yes, put in David Bossert. I learned that because I sent the link to Craig so we can put it in our show notes. And oh, it, do, do not put in Dave Bossert because all of his other books come up except that one. Yeah, it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Yes, you have to put in David Bossert. Yeah, and, and you know, I always go by Dave. And in fact, if you look at my screen credits over the years, it vacillates between Dave Bossert and David Bossert and David A. Bossert. And it was like whatever the mood I was in when they came around and said, how do you want your name to appear in the credits? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, Walt liked the joy of giving to others at Christmas. Uh, he liked to play Santa Claus for his friends. And at the studio, he and his secretaries made maintained an index box of cards of 
Hundreds of children of personal friends, members of the press, studio employees, and film executives. Uh, Children received individually wrapped gifts of Disney merchandise, usually one large main item and in several smaller ones. And it was the secretaries that maintained the checklists. They they the ages of the children they they chronicled uh what each child got every year so that they didn't send the same gifts um, you know the the secretaries wrapped everything that and then when like it, a, that's like a full-time job it, it became a full-time job for them yeah and uh-huh. then it, during the during those the holiday season and then when a child hit 12 they moved to the the studio christmas card list and um, and so the gifts stopped. So um, and Walt also held an annual Christmas party at the studio. And of course, once Disneyland was built, the studio party moved over to Disneyland. So, but they still do an employee party uh, at the studio lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they just had it like a week or two ago. They do. I think back in I remember reading back in the '60s or so, they were they were they were still doing the studio party. And then the, but um, for a while Walt had it at Disneyland because he wanted everybody to see the park. Right, right, and all that. So, um, anyway, so now Walt produced uh, several Christmas themed cartoons, and you know I know Roy and some of the theater owners were against this because the theme of Christmas meant it limited the window for their release, but that didn't stop Walt. And and you mentioned that, you know, we all think of uh, the Silly Symphonies and the Mickey shorts and all of that, that we're going to get into some of those. But, Dave, you mentioned that he even did a couple of Oswald uh, well, Christmas yeah, shorts. He did. And, and and really, I think what everybody kind of considers to be really the first, uh, uh, you know, Christmas themed cartoon from Disney is Empty Socks, which was... Uh, which was released um, uh, on December 12th, 1927. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's one of the uh, cartoons that we actually found. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't found the entire thing, but we did recover uh, a little over four minutes of the cartoon uh, in Norway in 2014. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, the original length is about six minutes, uh, but we we have a four minute, four second uh, sort of version of it, if you will, uh, which is really terrific, I think. But but that's kind of the first one, and then the following year uh, uh, he did Sleigh Bells, and believe it or not, Sleigh Bells was actually released in July of 1928, which, of all things. And it was, uh, you know, we we wound up um, uh, uh, getting a print of it from the British Film Institute, BFI, in 2015 and did a restoration on it. Uh, but uh, those were the two Oswald that were, you know, Christmas-themed. Uh, and then after that, you know, he started doing the Mickey cartoon. So you mm-hmm. need to think of, you know, Mickey's orphans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's 1931. Yeah. And, and so, uh, and, and, you know, some people, you know, I, I know, uh, with, uh, 
uh, Mickey's orphans that, uh, you know, uh, some, some folks, uh, feel it's a remake, uh, of empty socks. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I think there's some similarities to it, but, but I think they're different, you know, that that's my feeling on it. Yeah. Yeah. I like Mickey's orphans. I think it's delightful. And that was nominated for, an Academy Award and it, but it lost out to Flowers and Trees, that, another right. yeah. Disney short that was the first um, short to be filmed in Technicolor. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, Mickey's Orphans was released uh, in early December of 1931. Uh, and I think, you know, what, what's kind of cool about that, and I think, I think Walt was right, is that, uh, yeah, you might limit your window, but you've got a cartoon that you can release every year. Exactly. Yeah. You know, at oh. the holidays. And, and, and you know, it's, I'm sure they did that throughout the 30s. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you know, you mentioned um, Oswald's Sleigh Bells being released in July. What a lot of folks might not realize, It's a Wonderful Life was a July release as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't unheard of for Christmas films to get an early release. But yeah. it wasn't so they could go to DVD but in time for Christmas in those days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, in, in 1932, you had the uh, Silly Symphony Santa's Workshop, mm -hmm. uh, which was directed by Wilford Jackson. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that to me that was, you know, it's, a, it's an OK cartoon. Um, but the following year uh, they did uh, – the, the first iteration, if you will, of The Night Before Christmas, based on Clement Clark Moore's uh, poem. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, 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 I love that little cartoon. I think it's a wonderful little cartoon. It's uh, beautiful. Get, getting back to Santa's Workshop, though, too, yeah. they, they, you know, it's thought that that was sort of a, a the preliminary work that they were getting ready for the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That you know the, the the work they did in Santa's workshop influenced their work on the dwarves in there, and Pinto Kovic, who would later do the voice of Grumpy, he he is the Grumpy Elf in that short. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, um, that's terrific. And Nightmare Before Christmas, it had some big names behind it. It had, of course, the big musketeer Roy Williams worked on it. Hamilton Lusk, Dick um, Humor, um, Hardy Gramatke, who um, who wrote Little Toot, the children's book. Yeah. So, uh, so and, and you know who else? Uh, uh, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people know this guy's name, but Hugo Diorsi. Mm -hmm. uh, he did a lot of the uh, effects animation on the exterior and the interior of the house. Uh, and uh, he went on to be part of the, the first effects department, specialty effects department, special effects department uh, at the studio. And, and he's one of the artists that worked on uh, that wonderful monster of the whale sequence and that ocean water and all of the, you know, it was, it was him and Cy Young and, uh, Josh Metter, uh, you know, those were the guys that made up that first effects department. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the special effects in Pinocchio are amazing. Just amazing. They really are. <laughs> yeah. It, it's really sort of the, I, I think the pinnacle of it all, you know, 
I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, in 1949, it was Toy Tinkers, and this is one of the one of those Chippendale tormenting poor old Donald Duck, and uh, you know, the, you know Chippendale. They they get drawn into the house because they smell and see all the Christmas goodies, and then of course mayhem ensues <laughs> yeah. between the chipmunks and Donald, but. Uh, this is where uh, this is where Jimmy McDonald, though not only did he do the special effects and voice Donald Duck, he did a he he sped up his voice to do Chip in this one as well. Yeah, and you know uh, I believe the director on that is Jack Hanna, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, so, Jack uh, Hanna did most of the Chippendale cartoons. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and just as a side note, I had I, he was the head of the animation department up at Cal Arts when I was up there, and and when some of the luminaries of animation went through, uh, you know, people like uh, uh, John Musker and Tim Burton and oh wow. Uh, uh, Joe Ramft and uh, you know just uh, a lot of a lot of folks, uh, Gary Trousdale and Kirk Wise, mm-hmm. who both uh, directed Beauty and the Beast, and uh, you know we were all all up there at that time at Cal Arts, uh, and you had Jack Hanna heading the department. We had T. He uh, as one mm-hmm. of our instructors. Elmer Plummer was another one. And these were all guys that had worked at the Disney Studios for decades and then retired and then got pulled out of retirement to teach up at Cal Arts. Oh, Dave, we have to have you back on just to talk about your days at Cal Arts. Oh my I gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. mean, it sounds like you must have some amazing stories. <laughs> But uh, no, I mean, you know, when you think back, though, I mean, it's like it. Did, I guess it doesn't really hit you when it when you're in the moment. But when you think about it, and you realize, my God, all these guys are gone now. But you know, they were. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, Jack Hanna directed and was a story guy on a lot of the Donald Duck shorts and and most most of the Chippendales. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of, uh, you know, and, and he, he was, a, he was a great guy to sit and chat with, you know, mm-hmm. he's a, a real rugged individual. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, and then next is one of my favorite, I watch this every year. It's Pluto's Christmas tree from 1952. Yeah. And it's on Disney plus a lot of what we're talking about is on Disney plus. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Is, well, I'm very excited about. But uh, what can you tell us about Pluto's Christmas tree? I love this one. You know, what's interesting about Pluto's Christmas tree to me that, that, that strikes me is that, you know, there was this stylistic shift that happened at the studio uh, at, the, at the end of the 1940s with Cinderella. You know, they, they went uh, from that, you know, European book, illustration kind of style that was used in Snow White and Pinocchio and you know some of the some of the other films and they went more graphic and you can see it starting to happen in Alice in Wonderland but it really you know is prominent uh, Mary Blair's influence with uh, Cinderella 
And so in the 1950s, there's a much more graphic look to to the animation. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys are familiar and probably some some of the the folks in the audience uh, with the UPA style. Uh, of animation that was being done. It's a very graphic style animation in the 1950s. You can see a little bit of that influence in Pluto's Christmas tree. You know, if you look at the design of Mickey, he's got a little bit more of an angular graphic design to him. Yes, that's especially noticeable at the very beginning when he starts to decorate the tree. Yeah. You really see that. You can really see it, you know. And again, this is this is directed by Jack Hanna, uh, mm-hmm. this cartoon. And, um, you know, you got, uh, you know, Dan McManus is one of the guys credited with the effects animation. He was one of the, the greats. Uh, Yale Gracie doing layouts. He was uh, a pal of um, uh, Claude Coates's and uh, eventually went on to work at Imagineering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's really, uh, you know, it's a wonderful cartoon with, with, uh, with, you know, and, 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 and by the way, Fred Moore worked on this cartoon, you know, we're, we're talking like, you know, uh, towards the, you know, it's towards the end of his life, you know, um, because, uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take a look at this real quick because I think it's worth talking about him because Fred Moore is one of those talents. He died in 1952, and and this cartoon was released in November of 1952, and uh, and I have to say uh, he, uh, in fact, I I just got here November 23rd. Uh, 1952 was when Fred died, mm-hmm. and this was this was released on November 21st. Wow! You know, so yeah. so he died two days later. You know, and, and and it's really kind of a shame because Fred was the guy that refined Mickey's design and did the Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey, mm-hmm. which to me is like that is the Mickey design. I agree you know, with you. He's so dimensional and, and and just beautifully proportioned, uh, and that's all Fred Moore, you know. And and by all rights, he should have been, uh, you know, quote one of Walt's nine old men, you know. But you know, he he had he had his own demons he was dealing with. He did, he did. But a brilliant man yeah but you know when when you look at pluto's christmas tree and you see you know yeah i mean you can really see some of the that the these you know guys that are just in the in the prime of their careers you know um just really a beautiful cartoon i i love watching it it's so much fun i i mean i just laugh all the time when i watch that I do. I love the. My favorite scene is when um, the the chipmunk poses a candle. Yeah, candle. Yes. I love that. And I know Craig and I talk about that because I know Craig Craig wants a set of those candles. <laughs> a little chipmunk candles. Yeah, they're missing out on uh, that that for uh, merchandising. So yeah, yeah. needs to get on it. They really are. <laughs> they should. They they would sell out of those every year. Uh, before we went on air, uh, Dave, you and I talked about we're we're you know focusing on Walt's time, but we talked about that there's a 
couple of films that are from more modern times that are definitely worth mentioning. I definitely think so. I mean, you know, Mickey's Christmas Carol. Um, you know, what's interesting about Mickey's Christmas Carol, you know, it's it's a retelling of the Dickens uh, story. Uh, but uh, what's interesting about it is that this is really a transition film at Disney Animation. You know, this is this is a film where, you know, it's transitioning from uh, the uh, – you know, the, the old timers, the, you know, the nine old men are all retiring around this point. And so you've got this whole new group of, of artists, animators coming into the studio. And, uh, you know, I, when I look at the, the credits on, on that picture, it's just absolutely amazing to me. You know, you, you, you've got Glenn Keane, you got Mark Henn, Ed Gomber, Dale Bear, uh, Randy Cartwright, um, you know, uh, uh, the backgrounds, I mean, you got Jim Coleman, the great James Coleman, who's a friend of mine. You know, I, I was just, uh, uh, I, I just celebrated, uh, his 70th birthday with him, uh, uh, uh earlier in the year. And, you know, he's just, you know, an incredible painter. Uh, you know, he was, he was head of backgrounds on that picture. Uh, so you got all of these really incredible, uh, like new talent, if you will, uh, uh, taking over on this production. And, uh, I think they did a fabulous job on it. I think it's a, it's a wonderful telling of Charles Dickens, uh, a Christmas Carol and, and I enjoy it. And, you know, and by the way, it was produced and directed by Bernie Mattinson and Bernie Mattinson is still working at the yes. studio. He is, he is now the longest, longest employed, uh, uh, artist at the studio. He's been there now for, I think it is 61 or 62 years, or maybe longer than that at this point. You know? I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable. I watch, and, and I think Craig does too, because we, we, we both love Christmas Carol. We watch every version there is pretty much between the two of us. And I was always impressed with Mickey's Christmas Carol, how succinctly they tell the story yes because they do it in like 22 minutes or something right and uh it's very impressive the story writers i was always impressed with them and this is i guess scrooge mcduck's i think film debut in which uh, it uh, well yeah i guess it would be i mean uh you know to me uh, uh well i i've been I, on tv but Yes, but but actually, if you go back to uh, the the spirit of forty three, uh, mm-hmm. which was a wartime short, it's it's to me the sort of the first time you're getting uh, 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 an or it's sort of an, a precursor to Scrooge McDuck. Okay. Um, uh, in that, uh, in fact, I actually, I actually wrote something for the D twenty three magazine a uh, number of years ago about that one. And as we're as we're talking, I'm going to go and see if I can find that right now, because that to me, um, and I, it's it's here someplace. But uh, I think that that. Uh, was probably the first time. Yeah, Spirit of Forty Three. It was. Uh, it was the first time. It was. 
it, it, there, there's a character in the spirit of 43 that's uh, sort of this um, uh, Scottish uh, duck, you know, mm-hmm. he's wearing a kilt. Uh, and it's really, uh, I think, uh, and I wrote about this, I said that he's considered uh, an inspiration for Scrooge McDuck, who was created by uh, for the Dell Comics issue in 1947 by Carl Barks. So, so 1947 in the comics is when the when the first Scrooge McDuck appears. But if you go to 1943, you actually see you know the inspiration really that that started it all. Oh, interesting. Or maybe the un, an uncredited Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> it, it really kind of is, you know. Yeah. I mean, I. I I sort of consider it. Before we move on to the real big one, one that I remember as a, when I was young, really liking, and I always watch it every year, a small one from 1978 directed by Don Bluth. Don Bluth. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't long after that cartoon was completed that he and a group of uh, uh, animators left Disney in, in mass. Uh, and started their own studio and, and did Secret of Nim. Yeah, and it was yeah because they left what during the Fox and the Hound, I think. Yeah, yeah, that and, was a, it. Was kind of an ugly period there. Yeah, but I remember this was so unusual because it it's one of the few times um, Disney touched upon a religious theme. Yes, and but it's beautifully done, and is a very sweet story. Yeah, it doesn't get a lot of airplay, though. No, it doesn't. Not anymore. I remember for a while it used to be on television with some frequency, but now I have it on DVD. Yeah. I I wonder if it's on Disney+. Plus. Have you looked for it? I haven't seen it on Disney+. Plus. Now, the the big one, of course, is Tim Burton, your classmate. Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, actually, Tim was the, Tim was at CalArts uh, a, a couple of years before me. Oh, okay. So when I got there, I think he was already <laughs> starting to work at Disney. Oh, but, all right. Uh, but, but what's kind of cool about that is, you know, I've written um, uh, a making of The Nightmare Before Christmas. I, actually, they're calling it the nightmare before Tim Burton's the nightmare before Christmas visual companion, but it's really a making of it's a behind the scenes of how that film, uh, got made. And, uh, and I, and that film, you know, that that's an anomaly. I mean, here's the, you know, when it first came out, the studio was concerned that it was too scary for their core audience. So they released it under touchstone. Right. And and what's amazing is that year in and year out, that film just keeps growing its audience and they keep, you know, they're putting out more and more merchandise. They do the overlay on the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. I don't understand why they don't do it in Florida. It just seems like a natural for them to do it down in Florida. But, um, you know, it's 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 a film that has such a heart to it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and it was such a personal film for, for Tim. Uh, you know, he, he's, you know, he got fired from the studio, uh, and then went on to have this incredible directing career. And, and, you know, he was like the hottest director in Hollywood when he was doing the Batman movies at, uh, Warner Brothers, and and he had his his 
you know, agent reached back to Disney to see if he could actually get The Nightmare Before Christmas because he wanted to do something with it. And at the time, Jeffrey Katzenberg was in charge of the Disney Studios. And uh, they said, no, we, we own that, but we'd love to do it with Tim. So, you know, as Tim, as Tim tells it, you know, it was sitting... Uh, you know, he was sitting dormant for 10 years or something. And as soon as he expressed some interest in it, all of a sudden they wanted to do it. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? <laughs> and he had to really fight because um, I've, I've read a bit about how they make it. It's, it's fascinating, just the whole process. Yeah. And, you know, like the number of faces they had to create for Jack. Yeah. But he had to fight so hard for the aesthetic of that film, even down to um, – that Jack's eyes were black. You well, know. Jack doesn't have eyes. They were right. sockets. Which, right. Which, but which the studio goes, wanted eyes. Yeah, it goes <laughs> completely against the grain of uh, of the Disney uh, animation aesthetic. You know what I mean? It's like you know the Disney. You know all they all you know all the the Disney female characters have these big eyes and you know uh, all of that. But uh, I give him credit, you know, because he he stood his ground. He had a vision for that film, and even though the film didn't open to big numbers, it's a huge movie now. Oh, I it mean, is absolutely huge it's unbelievable and uh you know and they did the 3d conversion to it uh i actually uh uh opening night at the el capitan uh don han hosted and and had invited me to come down and and do it with him uh you know there was a little uh sort of uh you know 10 15 minute little thing that we did before the movie started but you know, every time that I go to the El Capitan, I, I bring my wife and my my daughters with me, and uh, you know, we uh, we will stay. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, who go up on stage and do these introductions. When once they're done, they bolt out of the theater. I I got off stage and I went out and, and sat in my seat in the audience, and we stayed and watched uh, Nightmare Before Christmas in 4D, mm-hmm. which was fabulous. You know, they make it snow inside the theater at one point. And it's just, I think, a wonderful film that has a big heart to it. And it really resonates with a lot of people. I I mean, to me, the theme is it's okay to be yourself, you know. And and that's what that's to me what what's so wonderful about that movie. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's one I watch every year. But I do believe it's a Christmas film, not a Halloween film. (laughs) Yeah, you know something, though? It blends blends the two holidays that Tim really likes a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, Halloween and Christmas. And and what's so great about it is that it's a movie that could play from October until, you know, the end of December. You know, it's it's so it's so terrific. But um uh, what's what's interesting about that film to me is how many people have gotten the characters tattooed on their bodies. Oh, really? And I've seen the most <laughs> amazing tattoos of the you know Jack and Sally, the mayor, Zero. Uh, it, it's unbelievable, and we're actually going to have a page or two of uh, of some of these tattoos in the book. Uh, and, and you know, not only did the film spawn 
the all this merchandise and the overlay for the haunted mansion and people getting tattoos and whatnot. But also, there's the live concerts, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and, and so I, I actually a number of years ago had the pleasure of writing the um, uh, the concert program notes for the Nightmare Before Christmas at the Hollywood Bowl. And uh, and they do such a wonderful job. It's, it's just a completely different experience. But they sell out when when they when they do it. They sell out the Hollywood Bowl for that that show. Yeah, it's I would really love fun. to. I would love to do that. Go see that. I've never been to the Hollywood Bowl. I've driven by it. Really? Many times I've never been. Yeah. I, I've been to the Hollywood Bowl a number of times. Uh, you know, uh, some of the live concerts like The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. And I think they do such a, you know, the the music, the Disney music group uh, does a terrific job with these live concerts. It's really fabulous. Yeah, yeah, they do. Well, someday I will. All right. I, I want I, I want to touch on a few, uh, few things uh that Walt got into that were holiday specials. You know, Walt made his television debut in an NBC Christmas special on December 25th, 1915. This was titled One Hour in Wonderland. And, you know, RCA had been pushing for a long time for a uh, Walt to do some sort of a show for them. And Walt, Walt, was, Walt didn't know if he wanted to do it and you know, how it would go over. And Walt, it's hard for us to believe now, but Walt was actually uncomfortable being the host. So he he recruited his really good friend, Edgar Bergen, to help uh, host this show with him. And Edgar Bergen kids out there, you know, Google him. He of course, was wildly popular at the time with his marionettes, Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, and all that. And and the funny thing is, yeah, Edgar Bergen was, was the best ventriloquist on radio. <laughs> it, was, it was the weirdest thing, and, um, but he had a, he had a wildly popular radio show. His television show would debut I with less than a year after One Hour in Wonderland, and and his television show would be wonderful. Of course, he's the father of Candace Bergen. That all of you who watch Murphy Brown, I was uh, just about to mention there. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this was you know Catherine Beaumont was in it, and it, you know from, as the voice she had been the voice of Wendy and Peter Pan, and she was also the voice of Alice in Wonderland, and this helped promote Alice in Wonderland. Roy and Walt were a little concerned about how that film was going to be received. And they thought this is a good way to prime the pump. Uh, but two, there were two uh, sort of unsung uh, little stars in here. And of course that was, um, that were, that were Walt, that was Walt's daughters, Diane and Sharon were also in the show. And some of the Masketeers who, well, well they would go on to be best like Roy Williams was in the show, things like that. So anyway, but um, but yeah, so it was. A, it's a fun show. It's it's available out there, and um, so you can see. I, that. I always I always find it hard to believe that that Walt uh, was uncomfortable, uh, you know, doing the shows. That's you know? what Walt. That's what Walt claimed. Anyway, yeah. but you know, he seems so natural in front of the camera. You know, oh, I know. Uh, on the wonderful world of Disney and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know. 
Yeah, although I know Ron Miller, I remember him saying once, because when, when he had to direct his father-in-law, he said it was the most stressful period of his life. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, I can yeah. imagine. I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, but uh, but what was amazing about the show was that it brought in 20 million viewers at a time when there were only 10.5 million televisions in the United States. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely crazy. <laughs> so, and his uh, second um, television Christmas special aired on CBS this time. It was supposed the previous one was supposed to air on CBS, but Coca-Cola, the sponsor, felt CBS didn't have enough um, affiliates to air it make it worth their while so it got switched to nbc but some of the cbs affiliates also aired one hour in wonderland that's great uh, and but um it moved to cbs on december 25th 1951 it was just called the walt disney christmas show and it was um to promote the animated feature peter pan but they showed no clips from the film, which is fascinating. But they had like Bobby Driscoll and Catherine Bowman on it. What was really interesting about this, though, it was it was sponsored by Johnson and Johnson. And as part of the arrangements they did with Walt is that they installed televisions in children's wards in hospitals throughout the United States so that children who couldn't be home for Christmas could watch this special. Oh, that's awesome. I know. Isn't that, isn't that, that, that's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was neat. You know, those those are some of the little stories that you don't really like people don't normally hear about. Um, You know, like I know the company, you know, the Disney company is one of the largest wish granters for make a wish foundation, you know, and a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, and, and the company doesn't promote it and I respect them for not, not promoting it, but they do a tremendous amount, uh, with the make a wish foundation, uh, in helping sick kids, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Craig didn't give kids the world. Didn't they say that one out of every two wishes is a Disney Yes. Is some, it's related to Disney. Yeah, which uh, yeah. you you can imagine why for any kid out there. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because the Diz is our our official charities give kids the world, and um, so we work closely with them. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So anyway, uh, well, and the second television series, Walt poured a little more money into, but these are both still done. You know, like. <laughs> like with duct tape and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and all that. And so these two specials were so popular, though, this gave Walt the idea that, hey, he could produce his own television shows. And so, um, but a Disney Christmas special I look forward to as a boy was the broadcast of From All of Us to All of You that first aired on ABC in December 19th, 1958. And then it started re-airings in 1963. And this is the one that started out, you know, Walt introduces it. And, you know, Jiminy Cricket sings the title song From All of Us to All of You. I think Hazel George, the nurse, might have written the lyrics for it, but I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and re-look that up. But, and... 
what it is it's you know in the days when people sent you know christmas cards there 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 were christmas cards that opened up and there were messages from the various disney characters and they were actually through clips of the various films you know classic films snow white and peter pan and pinocchio and all that and usually musical clips and then at the end especially starting in 1963 they would substitute uh you know one of the original clips with whatever was the most recent disney release and i love this and they dinked around with it they they would cut the song sometimes from all of us to all of you and you know of course walt was removed after he passed away and all that but what is fascinating about this is a version of this is still broadcast in sweden denmark finland and other countries and it is there is a host and it presents it live playing the role of Walt Disney and and then a snippet of the most recent Disney film is added and and I wrote someone who's in Sweden today to confirm is this still playing on uh, you know on Christmas and he said yes and it is like 40 to 50% of Sweden sits down to watch this and once in a while they'll dink around with it like they'll try to pull Ferdinand the bull or something from it and people scream they scream this has become a tradition and so they will still add in though at the end what a, a, a snippet from a recent disney film but it it's almost like this is untouchable for it's, them. A, it's very much like uh, a wonderful life here in the u.s mm-hmm. you know the wonderful life plays every year you know or Charlie Brown's Christmas special, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman, you know, those are like mainstays, you know? They've been doing it for more than 50 years, some of these things, and, you know, A Wonderful Life, much more than that, you know, which is fantastic. But what's amazing is, is that it's not like people have this on and then they're like, cooking Christmas dinner and it's on in the background, they sit down and they watch this. And the only interruption, apparently, because a friend of mine, um, Dave, listens to the show, I know him from the museum, he sent me an article and even talk about the only interruption, the only sound in the house is that people will recite along with the show because they have this memorized <laughs> that's fa- that's fantastic isn't, isn't that great it's I wish- so wonderful it's like the world stops and they all sit down and watch this yeah absolutely i wish i wish they would still rebroadcast it here maybe that's something they'll do on disney plus someday you yeah. would hope i i think i think there's gonna be so much stuff rolled out onto disney plus you know mm-hmm. because that's what's so great about these streaming platforms you know you can yeah. put up as much content as you want and, and let it sit there and people will watch it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a, f- a few other things that I want to touch on that, uh, how Walt, um, you know, brought Christmas, you know, in, into, into celebrate into different aspects of the company. Of course, Disneyland is the Disneyland Christmas parades. Um, yeah. You know, the, um, in 1957, uh, Christmas in Many Lands Parade premiered at Disneyland. And this started the tradition of Walt Disney's being the Grand Marshal 
of this seasonal parade. He would have his grandchildren in tow. Grandchildren, I know some of the grandchildren, they did not enjoy this. <laughs> they, <laughs> they did not enjoy being the center of attention, riding in Walt's touring car, you know, with this. You even see Joanna in the, there's a photo of Joanna all laying down in the seats and nobody will see her. Uh, but, Walt loved this. And this is part of his and and but they didn't have a big budget in the beginning. So they would invite um local cultural groups, you know, and you know, like the, the Irish Cultural Center and and and, and uh, there were Persian groups and Dutch groups and Swedish groups and, and they would just dress up and they would walk through the parade in their in however they celebrated in a costume the only problem was is that they were volunteers of course except that then they got to spend the day in the park uh, but because they were volunteers you never knew how many of them were showing up at every any given time so you might have you know four people from the swedish group one day and then 25 another day oh, <laughs> so, so it was a little crazy wow. so won't sort of grab control of the parade after a few years and was sort of inspired by the rose parade the macy's parade and it became a little more structured uh the interesting thing is the marching toy soldiers were added to promote babes in toyland yeah and 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 which uh again roy and walt knew beginning they were concerned that this was not going to do well, this film. So they had the sets in, in the opera house at Disneyland, which did not house great moments with Mr. Lincoln at the time. Um, but they put in the toy soldiers and it was, a, and Walt built it as a, a Christmas toy parade. And he had a lot of toys, toy floats built and stuff, but they became one of the most enduring and beloved traditions of the parade so that they could never be removed. And yeah. No, I, I, it, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Think about some of that. Yeah, and probably a lot of children have no idea that they even came from a film. But it's tradition, you know? So, um, And then, of course, the Candlelight Processional began in Disneyland's very first Christmas in 1955. And it, it, and it started out as a living Christmas tree. Uh, you know, perf uh, performed in Main Street at the railroad station, you know, uh, and it was performed by the Western High School Choir of Anaheim. But when their director retired, Walt just sort of took it over and Disneyland cast members assumed the roles. And then it just sort of grew. And and that's, yeah. and that's continued to this day. Absolutely. You know, they, they do all of that. It's, you know, and they do multiple nights now. And I, I, I you know, when I was working at the studio, I, I can remember, you know, months before uh, uh, Christmas, you know, people talking about having to go to rehearsals and this and that, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, well, and, and when Walt Disney World opened in 1971, excuse me they immediately had the candlelight processional you yeah. know just a couple of months later after the park opened and then that grew and grew and then of course they moved it over to epcot center where uh, you c it runs for a long time so you have a good fighting chance of getting a seat there <laughs> as opposed to disneyland <laughs> oh my gosh disneyland is such a zoo at that point you know yeah. i was it's, there a couple weeks crazy. ago yeah, yeah. And they had it. Yeah, 
so and then finally before we get into into another big thing walt did of course during the 1964-65 new york world's fair the final scene of the carousel of progress was set during christmas with jingle bells that's right sort of playing in the background uh because at the time you know it was a different holiday that was celebrated in each scene. Uh, When the attraction was moved to Disneyland, the final scene was redone. And so it was much more elaborate and, and decorated, this final scene. But in the background of that Christmas scene, there was a large picture window through which you could see the towering Cosmopolitan Hotel that was the centerpiece of Walt's planned experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Yeah, that he was going to build. So, um, anyway. and, and you know something, I, I've often said this when we talk when, when I've talked about Epcot. You know, I think they could still they 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 have the ability and they could do it. They they could add uh, you know uh, uh, apartments or or condos or whatever you want to call them uh, for people to live around Epcot. You know. Mm-hmm. To, to really take it to, to Walt's full vision. That would be a really interesting concept. So, Craig, would you and, and Kylie be moving into Epcot if they did that? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I'm happy being on the bubble of Walt Disney World more than anything. So I don't need to live right in there, but I... I could probably, but you know, but, but, you know I, I often wonder, you know, maybe it's just putting up some spectacular vacation club tower. See, that's know? yeah, I could see them doing that. <laughs> now, where, where after after Epcot closes, you still allow the people staying in the tower that they could go wander around if they want to. You know, I'm sure that poses its own problems, but. I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm just thinking about how cool would that be? You know, (laughs) that that would be fun. So now earlier we talked about you'd mentioned um, Dave how the Walt Disney Company it it it's involved in charities. You know, like Make a Wish, and it doesn't and Give Kids the World, and it doesn't say much about it. There was a program. That, that still exists that people probably don't really know Walt's affiliation with it too much, and they don't recall it. And that's the Toys for Tots program. And it it started in 1947 as a local Los Angeles yeah. program that that's started right. out giving toys for the needy for about a thousand children, and that which is pretty spectacular its first year. But Walt got involved in it the following year, and that's when it took off. And and the studio designed the Toys for Tots logo, which is still being used today. The the little red toy train logo. Yeah, it, yeah. which I think is pretty fantastic. And and you know when when it first started out that first year, uh, they uh, they enlisted uh, uh, you know they put collection bins outside of Warner Brothers movie theaters. And uh, they got some A-list uh, celebrity talent from the Warner Brothers Studios to help out, and you know, uh, and you know that following year, Walt got involved, and you know, and and it grew from there. And now it's just massive nationwide organization that's been going for more than seventy years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Walt. I remember when I was young, Walt did television commercials for Toys for Tots, uh-huh. always standing by one of the bins. 
right. with toys. And there was always like a Mickey Mouse stuffed animal stuff plush sticking out of it, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, there were Toys for Tots posters that I believe he um, he lent the Disney characters to advertise yes. it, like Donald Duck driving a train. The yeah. Toys for Tots train. That's right, yeah. And things yeah. like that. That you know, he didn't he didn't do that very often. And um he even oh, like when they were filming The Happiest Millionaire, he got like Greer Garson to film commercials for Toys for Tots and some of the other actors. So uh so that's how much um th- th- that's how much he got involved, you know. Yeah. He even got the people that he had hired to do some of the films. I think even when it was that, what was that crazy astronaut film that he wrote? Um, oh, oh, Robinson Crusoe, UN. Remember that Dick Van Dyke starred in. I oh think he, my gosh! He, he even got the chimp from it to be in a Toys for Tots commercial that year. That's, that's so, fantastic. Yeah. So anyway, so they said that. I think just Walt's active participation in 1965 resulted in over a million toys. After one commercial, resulted in over a million toys being donated. I I believe it. I believe it. And you know what? You know what that says. You know, like he he didn't just you know do a little something. If he got involved in something, it was he was all in. Mm -hmm. And, And I use that term specifically because you know i think it, it must have been ingrained in some of the the disney's you know because roy e disney decided you know when uh, back in 1983 that you know he was going to step up to the plate to save the company mm-hmm. and and he used that term he was all in he went in you know 110 percent and, you know, I think that when you look at Walt, when he decided to do something, he went all in on it, you know, he did. He, he, he didn't just, you know, dabble with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there were other charities that Walt was very involved with, like the John Tracy um, Center for like hearing impaired children and their families. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the, even had they, Mary they Blair, did, they, I think they, they did the community tra- uh, chest. Yeah, uh, there was uh, uh, Lenda Paw, if you remember that little short. Uh, 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 the community chest was the precursor to uh, uh, the United Way, right? You know, mm-hmm. so you know, it's a, they they really did get involved in a lot of that kind of stuff, which I, I think is fantastic. You know, and, and it's nice that the the company continues that tradition. I agree. Yeah, he even. Um he even did a lot for St. Joseph's Hospital right across the street. That's where he right. Passed away. Well, he donated the land yeah, to the hospital, and, and, and also the um, uh, uh, just across the street is the Roy and Patty Disney Family Cancer Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know the family made a substantial donation to that for that facility to be built. That's wonderful. Yeah. And um, yeah, and Walt would send um, even like his artists over sometimes just to draw pictures for the children. And, and, over uh, and stuff like uh, that. For, for many years, uh, uh, the employees, the doctors, nurses, and people that worked at St. Joseph had access with their hospital ID to the Disney studio lot to use the commissary. 
Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to give you another somewhat tongue-in-cheek uh, little bit of a uh, uh, story here. The Disney Triangle. Have you heard about the Disney Triangle? I, I don't think so. The Disney Triangle has, you know, there's there's three corners to a triangle, right? Mm-hmm. You have the studio, St. Joseph's, and across the freeway is Forest Lawn. Oh, I thought that's, that was going to be the third that, point. That's the Disney <laughs> Triangle. Oh, dear. <laughs> it was... It was a running joke with with with, with uh, folks in the animation department. You know, it was always you know you worked at the studio, then you'd go into the St. Joe's, and from St. Joe's you'd go over to the uh, Forest Lawn Cemetery. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, well, I hope that well, I, I'm glad that we ended this on the spirit of giving. Yes, you know, because that is that is a that's what the holiday is about. It's sharing our time and compassion and and what we have with others during this season of the year. Absolutely. It's, it, it, it's you know, to me, it, it's goodwill unto others, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's helping. And, you know, it's that time of the year when, when people, you know, uh, should be thinking about making charitable donations uh, to their favorite charities and, and just giving back really absolutely yeah. and and if and if times are tough and you can't donate money donate time you know absolutely. volunteer somewhere go read a book to someone that um is homebound or or you know visit the children's hospital and you know read the children or your pet shelter you know help help with the animals that are there something like there's all kinds of things we can do yeah and you know something too i i often tell people it doesn't really matter what you give mm-hmm. as long as you give something if you yeah. gave a dollar uh some people might not think that that's much but you know what the power of a dollar uh you know given by thousands and thousands of people adds up quickly absolutely you know uh, you know, and so, you know, from my standpoint, uh, it, it's not about how much you give. It's about what you give. It's just mm-hmm. give something, you know, Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, a dollar, five dollars, you know, you can, you can buy a toy for five dollars and drop it in a toys for tots bin. Uh, yes. Or, or you know, the I, I know in my community, the local sheriff's department collects toys, you know, and I think most communities around the country, you know, if it's not Toys for Tots, it's some local charity where you can fill a backpack or you can put an unwrapped toy in a box. I mean, that that to me is the, the simplest thing you could do uh, during the holidays. And it'll bring so much joy to, to somebody who doesn't have anything. Somebody, I agree. The underprivileged that, that, you know, really could use the helping hand. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. So, so Dave, you mentioned that you are going to have a book come out on A Nightmare Before Christmas. Is there any other projects you can share with us right now, or are they top secret? Well, no, aside from the Claude Coates book, um, I also have a, a wonderful book that you'll hear more about in the, in the later spring uh, called 3D Disneyland, uh, the park like you've never seen it before. 
Uh, and it's a very rare collection of uh, stereoscopic, you know, 3D photographs uh, of Disneyland uh, from 55 to 58 and 1980, uh, the 25th anniversary. And, uh, and there's some unbelievable pictures in there, guys, I have to tell you. And one that I've told uh, some folks about already is there's a photo looking north out of Fantasyland uh, from, uh, and you see the storybook train but what's amazing is what's beyond it you see orange groves as far as the eye can see oh my gosh <laughs> I mean you know you have to realize like so many of us weren't even born when when the park opened you know and and to see pictures like that it's mind-boggling you know that because is. now you know it's like you know all the trees are grown and the foliage and you know you, you have uh uh toontown over in uh you know to to the right of that and you know there's the back back lot area of disneyland and the freeway wasn't even there in 55 you know now that you've got a big freeway going by the park and all of that so um yeah that that's in in the works and you know i've been doing uh, a lot with uh, tracking down some lost films not just the alice comedies and the oswald films uh but other lost films from the world war ii era um, so, uh, I've been writing about some of that material. So there, there's a, there's a laundry list of things that I can't really talk about right now, mm -hmm. but they go out for, I, I have projects that are slated out to 2024. Oh, that's uh, great. And I, and I think some of them will be surprising to people and, and hopefully, you know, ex they'll be excited about them too, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but, but, you know, I, I, take on projects that I'm excited about, that I really want to write about, and I want to write about things that haven't been written about, you know? And I want people, I want to show people things that they haven't seen before. Uh, you know, like this collection of, of 3D photographs of Disneyland uh, is something that's out of a private collection. They've never been published before. Uh, and the, the person that owns those photographs has been very gracious to let me uh, uh, showcase them in a book for, you know, for people to see. Um, so, you know, that, that I think is exciting. And, and also, you know, I think there, there's so much to write about the World War II era and what the Disney studios did, uh, for the war effort, uh, that I, I find fascinating. I mean, there's a lot of historical value to it. Um, so there's, there, there, there's lots of stories that haven't been told yet that are still, you know, out there and, and, and I'm going to tell some of them. Great. Well, we are all looking forward to it. So, so I, so thank you so much for, for brightening our holiday by coming on and not only doing our holiday show, but our final show of 2019. Which is amazing, and I I really appreciate you guys inviting me on, and uh, and, and you know it all started because of this uh, a, a treasury of Christmas poems. It uh, did. 
and you said you know you you wanted to do a, uh, a you know and a holiday edition of, of the podcast and and I said absolutely I'd be happy to go on um, I'm glad you guys like this book it's and- a it's a delightful book and again like all of your other books it is so um, it's such a joy to hold because it's a piece of art, isn't it it's a piece of art. <laughs> I'm holding yeah. mine right now, by the way, and I and I have told people it it appears to be a leather cover, right? It does, but it's not but, quite. But but it's not. I tell people it's a vegan friendly cover. Mm-hmm. It's a vegan friendly leather cover, so it's it's <laughs> full leather, uh, but it's gold embossed, and uh, and it's just I don't know. I, it, it's wonderful and. Uh, uh, and the pay, it's got a heavy paper stock to it. And, uh, you know, when I do these books on my own, I have to tell you, I, I kind of feel like you got to do high quality. It's like, you know, do it right, do it top quality or go home, you know, don't do it at all, you know, and I'm very proud of this little book and I hope people will go and, and, and check it out, um, and, and get a copy of it. You know? Yeah, and it, it makes a nice it, little gift as well too. Yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of a stocking stuffer, a stuffer almost. But it, it's I think such a beautiful little book that you could put this on uh, on a coffee table or an end table during the holidays. Absolutely, you know, for, for for friends and family and guests to to pick up and peruse if they want to. Absolutely, so, anyway. that's where mine is right now. So. Yes. So thank you very much for having me on and talking You're about welcome. this book. That, that really is, you know, you get a little insight into my childhood when you read the foreword. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's The Treasury of Christmas Poems by David A. Bossert. And of course, we, we will have a link in our show notes to where you can pick that up. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. And I wish you... And, you know, both Michael, you and Craig and your entire audience, I want to wish everybody just a joyous holiday season. You know, it's spend time with loved ones and and just, you know, enjoy being with one another and uh, and and celebrating the holidays. Thank you so much, Dave. And a very happy holidays and happy new year to you and your family as well. And we look forward to having you on the show again in, in 2020. Uh, I'm going to be there. I'll tell you where the next time I come back, we'll talk all about 3d Disneyland. Excellent. Excellent. That to me is going to be the, uh, it's going to be a really terrific book when, when we get it finished. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Happy holidays. Take care. Bye-bye. Happy holidays. Bye-bye. That was fun listening to all of Dave's um, stories and reminiscing about Walt through the years and how he celebrated Christmas and shared it with others. And I think that's the most important thing. And, And now it is time for us to share This Week in Disney History with all of you. Okay, well, you know, Craig, what is funny is a lot of This Week in Disney history, it was all about who hosted the the Walt Disney World Christmas Parade. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, I did not choose any of those. (laughs) because i thought i really don't care if it was joan london or there were actually a few that were sort of interesting like bruce jenner i had no idea 
He had like hosted it. Yeah. He at the time had hosted it once, you know, and, and all of that. And, and, uh, and so there, there are a few interesting folks in there. So, um, but anyway, but I, I tried to steer clear of that. So, okay. So we're going to start out on December 2nd. So writer, Imagineer and Disney legend, Bill Cottrell, passed away in Burbank, California on December 22nd, 1995. He was the brother-in-law of Lillian and Walt Disney, and Cottrell was the first president of which Walt Disney Productions organization? Oh, I do not know this. No. Okay. Well, he he was the president of what is known today as Walt Disney Imagineering. So, oh, I guess so, I didn't. I should have paid better attention to uh, Imagineering on Disney Plus. <laughs> so he first um, worked cameras at the Walt Disney Studio in 1929, and Bill Cottrell eventually moved to the story department, where he contributed ideas to shorts, including "Who Killed Cock Robin" and "Wink and Blinkin' and Nod." Uh, he went on to direct the "Wicked Witch and Evil Queen" sequences in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and later contribute to the stories of Pinocchio and Peter Pan. He was one of the driving forces behind Disneyland's creation. So Cottrell was one of Walt Disney's most trusted advisors. So definitely a, a name to. To be remembered. So, yes. Okay. Okay. December twenty third, the television series Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color airs holiday time at Disneyland on December twenty third, nineteen sixty two. Walt begins the episode with an iconic holiday scene of himself that has been replayed multiple times over the decade. What is Walt doing in this scene? If I'm thinking about the right one correctly, isn't this where uh, it's him in the uh, the Dickensian, uh, the Carolers? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, and and Walt starts the episode. He's ringing a bell. He has yes. his back yep. to the camera, and there's yeah, there's Dickensian um, clothes. Christmas carolers singing in front of Sleeping Beauty Castle at Disneyland. And then Walt turns around. And and even Santa Claus, who's portrayed by actor Carol um, Maxey in this, is, stops by to um, chat with Walt Disney. Yeah, that's right. So I, I love this episode. Yeah, it's a good one. I need to I need to track it down here in the next couple of days. Yeah. I know it's on a DVD somewhere. Oh. Isn't it in the Disney Treasure series? It could be. So uh, I, I don't remember I though. It is. Huh. I'll have yeah, to look into sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. December twenty fourth, Christmas Eve. A long-standing tradition begins when half of Sweden sits down in front of the television for a family viewing of the 1958 Walt Disney Presents Christmas Special on December 24th, 1959, from all of us to all of you. We just talked about that. Or as it is known in Sverige, okay, I want to, I want to apologize to the country of Sweden and all of our Swedish listeners. <laughs> Okay, it's Kali Anka Achans Vonner Akskar Good Jule. What does yeah. this translate to? Oh, I have no idea. 
I couldn't even well, make a guess. You know, well, you would think it would be from all of us to all of you, wouldn't you? Uh, the, there seems like there's too many extra words in there. Yeah. The interesting thing is it translates to Donald Duck and his friends wish you a Merry Christmas. Why Donald? <laughs> because he's more popular. It's okay. the only thing I can think of. Like, you know, when Dave talked about, you know, we talked about the Toys for Tots program, and I had remembered they had a poster of Donald Duck um, riding in the train. It, it, Walt chose Donald rather than Mickey because Donald was more popular by that time. And it was all about oh. getting the donations yeah. for Walt. So he wanted someone that would attract people to reading that poster, and it was Donald. So, well, anyway, um, Kalianka, for short, <laughs> I'm not going through that name again, it will air without commercial interruption at the same time on Sweden's main public television station, TV One, on Christmas Eve, when Swedes traditionally celebrate the holiday. For the next 50 years, Kalianka, typically one of the three most popular television events of the year, with between 40 and 50% of the country tuning in to watch. It will also become a tradition in Norway, Denmark, and Finland. And in researching this and writing my friend in Sweden, as I mentioned earlier, um, apparently France and even Russia have versions of this program that they show yearly. Just not us. Not us. I know. I don't get it. I think we need to write Disney Plus and say we want this. Agree. So, yeah. Okay. Alrighty, December twenty fifth. Merry Christmas, gang. On December twenty fifth, nineteen thirty nine, the Lux Radio Theater, with the cooperation of Walt Disney Productions, presents a scene by scene adaptation of an upcoming animated feature. What is the name of the feature? Well, um, thinking about what was going to be released at that time, you know, I I doubt it would be Dumbo or Fantasia coming up. So I'm going to say Pinocchio. You're absolutely right. Pinocchio, which is scheduled for a February release. This cast for this special Christmas broadcast includes Dickie Jones as Pinocchio, Christian Rubb as Geppetto, Cliff Edwards as Jiminy Cricket, Charles Jadels as Stromboli, Walter Catlett as Honest John, Frank Darrow as Lampwick, and Evelyn Venable as the Blue Fairy, but with Gracie Nielsen supplying her singing. I remember... Um, when I was a boy, they were still running reruns of of radio shows from back in the day. Oh, that's cool. On and uh, Lux Radio Theater was one of the ones that they always reran, but I don't remember hearing the Disney ones because they did more than one okay. uh, for Disney. And I don't remember them. Um, ever replaying those anyway um december 26th walt disney's staff begin packing up on december 26th 1939 what are they preparing for i believe this is when they were going to move studios that's right they're preparing for the move from the Hyperion Avenue studio in Silver Lake to a new one in Burbank. The success of the 1937 Snow White has allowed Disney to build a new modern campus on some 51 acres of land. Actually, the money, as I, I learned a while back, uh, 
allowed them to purchase the land. Uh, it took a little more resources to build the studio. Um, it is designed around the animation process at the large animation building in the center of the campus and adjacent buildings for the story department, the music department, the ink and paint departments, and other functions of the studio. The move will take a little over a week. Okay. All right, December 27th. Walt Disney appears on the cover of Time for the magazine for the first time on December 27th, 1937. What other event took place that week that is mentioned in the article? Um, just going to take a guess on it, but I'm going to say uh, I, I think this was right around the time when Snow White came out. You're absolutely right. The publication profiled Walt Disney, The Week Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was released. And they called the film the most ambitious animated cartoon ever attempted. All right, December 28th, Imagineer and Disney legend Don Edgren passed away at the age of 83 on December 28, 2006. He had a role in building several Disney theme parks and led teams building which thrilling attractions? Oh, um, I'm going to go ahead and just let you tell me on this one. Okay. Well, Don Edgren, again, I, I, I bring these up, not that I think there's any chance of either of us knowing this, but we, need, we should remember these guys, these names. Don Edgren was an engineer. Um, he supervised construction of the Matterhorn, the original Pirates of the Caribbean, and Space Mountain attractions, amongst others. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that is important. So, <laughs> and that is it. That is our final final history quiz of the year so you did pretty well not too bad all right well so oh craig you'll be happy to know that when i was flying back from pennsylvania i downloaded a uh a movie from Disney Plus to see, okay, how does will it work? Can I actually play this on an airplane when I have no uh, internet? And sure enough, it worked perfectly. And you'll be very happy to know that the holiday film I chose to download was The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, what a perfect choice. I thought so. I, yeah. Because I, I have to get through all my Christmas Carol films. And so that was the one no, that I thought I would do. That is an excellent choice. So there's uh, mm -hmm. there's some really bad Christmas movies on Disney Plus, but Muppet Christmas Carol is not one of them. But did you also see yeah, that? Yeah, a lot of those I. Sorry, before before finish that thought, did you see that uh, Great mm -hmm. Moments in History is coming back for one week only to. Uh, to Walt I Disney World? I did see that. Yeah. What do you think prompted that? Uh, just crowds. So anything they can oh, do okay. to, to, even though it causes such a such an issue in that walkway by having that show, uh, you know, when, when it's that busy and people aren't able to get on rides and stuff, they need something to do. So it's one of those things you can just walk up okay. last second and do it. So. Uh, it'll... That's interesting. So it must not take much time to throw that thing together then. I mean, they must have folks hanging around who are trained to perform 
yeah, that show. I'm sure it's just some uh, some entertainment cast members who are also puppeteers. So maybe ones that also like do some puppeteering okay. over at Nemo or any other place that uses puppets. Oh, that's true. That's true. So anyway, yeah, well, okay. It's seasonal, I guess, for now. <laughs> so I knew it was too good to be true that it yeah. was gone. <laughs> so, anyway, but um, there is a, I, I watched you know a Christmas story flying out because you know I had to I had to watch the film before I visited oh, yeah. the house. Yeah. But I watched another film that is now going to be part of my Christmas rotation. I think it actually came out last year. Um, it's the man who invented Christmas. It's a um, fictitious um, telling of how Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas Carol. Yeah, I remember. I remember it being out in theaters, but I didn't get a chance to watch it, and then uh, haven't yeah. haven't really made time for it since. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I want to see that you know. And what it is is that as he thinks of his characters and their names, they come to life, and oh, okay. he interacts with them. They talk with them. He inspire. They inspire him. I want these characters i want them to film a version of a christmas carol with these characters i want to see christopher Plummer as scrooge oh yeah because good he was brilliant in this in this film there wasn't enough of him in it and uh, downton abbey fans um dan stevens is in it so um anyway (laughs) as charles dickens and and uh, uh there's a uh, there, but there's a lot of it that is not true. Yeah. Oh. So I've read a lot about Dickens, but it's a delightful film. A, a really, really nice film. I will definitely add it to the list then. Yeah, I think you'll like it, especially because, you know, both you and I are big A Christmas Carol fans. So. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is our final episode for 2019. So, Craig, what are you doing for um, Christmas and the holiday season? Yeah, I'm like I said, I'm going to be heading up to to Pennsylvania to spend Christmas with my with my family, and then come back down to Florida in time for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, and then get ready to to jump into 2020 full force. So, okay, uh, are you, you going to go to one of the parks New Year's Eve? Oh no, no, I do not. So every now and then we'll we'll go in we'll watch like the fireworks from Polynesian or, you know, some, it's a place like that Fort wilderness, but I do not step foot in a park on new year's Eve. That's <laughs> too, too much for me. Can't imagine. Not even Epcot. Yeah. I, it's, I'm definitely, I, if I would have ever been motivated to, it would have been, it would have been last year being the last, the last season with the holiday tag and illuminations, yeah. but I'm not going to Epcot to enjoy, uh, Epcot forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm going to you know go join Carol's family for Christmas, you know, and then the day after I uh, I pour um, I have high tea with them. Oh, nice. So I have no idea who shows up. I bring the treats and I bring everything we need for the tea, and um, just sort of move on from there. <laughs> and then then I'll come back up New Year's Eve. I'll have a we Carol and I traditionally hosted it for a few friends, so I will I'll continue that tradition. So um and that's about it. And then yeah. Then March into twenty twenty, which I am hoping is going to be a 
much better year. So anyway, all right. Well, we hope that 2020 is that what we hope for all of you as you we approach 2020 that you will have a happy and joyous um, holiday season. We look forward to being back with you on January 10th, 2020 with more stories to connect you with Walt. And so for me and Craig at Connecting with Walt to all of you, a very Merry Christmas, happy holidays and a joyful new year. 